Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, and today we are joined by ESPN's Mike Reese, the Patriots beat reporter for the worldwide leader in sports. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Liam, thanks for having me. I was flattered that you asked me to come on the podcast and really looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, me too. I'm flattered you uh, you agreed to join. So, as always, we'll get started by... Uh, Mike, how about you just take us through your journey in media from the moment that you realized sports journalism was something that you wanted to do to how you ended up covering the Patriots and joining ESPN about a decade ago. That sounds great. And feel free to, to interrupt me at any point if you hear something and you want me to get deeper into it. But, you know, we, you and I, we have a link because we both grew up in suburban Boston. Yep, yep. So. You know, you you know this well. This region is um, sports-centric. You know, it's a big part of the culture in which we grew up, right? And so for me, you know, I always loved sports. And my dad was a sportscaster in Boston uh, in the 70s and 80s. And so sports was always around me. And I loved to play sports. And once I realized pretty quickly that my dreams of being a professional athlete uh, weren't going to be realized, um, you know, the, the, the focus sort of came to, like, how do you be involved in sports um, if you're not going to be playing them? And so I had my dad as a great example to follow because here he is a sportscaster in Boston. And he suggested, you know, when I was like a sophomore in high school, you should go reach out to the local newspaper and see, you know, if they need any help mm-hmm. in, you know, taking in scores, right, from the local coaches, the high school coaches, uh, you know, in the summer little league and, and, and all that. And this was before I even had my license. I reached out and I started working at the local newspaper when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And when you think about just where we were, all of us that are listening at when you're a, like a sophomore in high school, your self-esteem sort of like, who are you, right? Like you're still figuring all that out. Very much so. Right? And so for me, like when I started doing that, it just, it made me feel good. You know, like I, I was really, I felt productive, I, you know, and, and I, I loved it. And so that's really how it started, Liam, you know, and I've never looked back from that point and we can sort of go through it, but I'll just give you sort of like where it went. I went from covering local sports when I was in high school mm-hmm. to going to University of Massachusetts in Amherst yep. to study sport management in the mid-90s. And those that were around in that time remember like the men's basketball team with yeah. John Calipari as the head coach. They were number one in the country. So think about that. Like here I am, I'm, I'm like in, in college and, like, you get the number one team in the country, like, all of the the, the sports landscape in college, we're, we're looking at sleepy Amherst, Massachusetts. Like, that just, you couldn't hit that any better, right? Yeah. And so, so I went to, had an unbelievable four years at UMass and, you know, covered those games, worked at the student newspaper, student radio station, media relations department, and... My first job out of college, I'm thinking to myself, after all that experience, like, this should be easy to get a job, right? Like, 150 rejection letters later, (laughs) right? I got one offer to go work at Patriots Football Weekly, which is the the Patriots team newspaper. So 
the classic part of this, right, is like here I am thinking like all my experience would get me in the door. Mm. But the only reason I really got that job was that my brother had a friend who knew the editor who was looking for someone to work for, at the time, about $20,000 a year. Mm. Mm. So like, right? And that was it. And so that's, that's how I got started. And I'm so happy and I'm forever grateful for that experience because mm. really, I mean, I, I was a, a football fan, but that wasn't really like my top sport at that point. Yeah. You know, growing up in Boston in the eighties, like it was the Celtics with Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, um, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, the Bruins, Ray Bork, Red Sox a little bit for me, although that, I can't say that was really my team. And so really the Patriots, that was sort of, to be honest, like number four in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were number four. They were probably number four in the region up until right when you started working there. So, Right. And and Parcells had come in in 93, and that really changed it for me. Like, I really started to become more of a fan, and that was right when I was going to college. And so, so there it is. So, so you're, I'm a couple years at Patriots Football Weekly, and you know that's when I learned how smart the Kraft family was, and they're doing stuff on their team website that no one's doing. You know, that's now commonplace. You you know, video and all that stuff. But in 97, 98, 99, this was sort of a new frontier. Yeah. And then, and then I went back to the local paper for six years because my dream was always to work at Boston Globe mm. and be like Will McDonough was, who was someone I always idolized growing up. He's a great sports reporter for the mm. Boston Globe, one of many. And I remember the sports editor at the time said, look, I'm, you got to go work somewhere at like a newspaper unaffiliated with the Patriots for us to consider hiring you. Like we need to see some independence mm. that you can you know, cover the team without being employed by them, basically. And so I did that six years. That was some hard time, you know, Friday nights covering high school football and putting out the Sunday newspaper, which meant working all day Saturday. And then from there, Boston Globe, 2005, um, I got hired there. So that was like the dream job. Oh, okay. so two, yeah, 2005 dream job. I was pumped. And then I thought I'd be there forever. And then in 2009, ESPN was starting these local websites, ESPN Boston, ESPN New York, mm -hmm. ESPN LA, ESPN Dallas. And they said, how would you feel about coming over? And it's been just an unbelievable ride at ESPN. Yeah, certainly quite the journey. But we'll start way back at the beginning. Uh, what were you first covering when you started writing in high school? So... In high school, it was anything because anything. it was any, any sport you think about that, you know, you'd at a local high school, like, yeah. hey, that, the, and that, that's the best way to start too, Liam, because you, you're not, you don't want to be specialized. You want to learn about all the different sports. And really, you know what I learned probably from that experience, maybe more than anything else, is that as much as we're covering different sports, we're really covering people. You know, and there it's people writing. And I am just, I think about all the amazing, like, student athletes in high school that I would write about, whether it was recovering from a torn ACL. I remember thinking to myself, like, how is this 16-year-old so mature and able to overcome this adversity? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, 
something so much more simple that I'm struggling with, right? Like, so it's almost inspiring to me to be writing about all these people in these different sports, right? Mm. And, and really, I would go wherever they would tell me. It was a high school football game on Friday night. In the winter, you're you know, mostly in basketball gyms. But then mm. there were other times where it was like, we need you on the desk, and you might be getting peppered with like 50 to 100 calls. Hey, this is the coach of this team. I'm calling in the results. And, and I always took unbelievable pride in taking in that information and writing up a couple paragraphs to appear in the paper the next day because I always felt like that would mean so much to anyone, you know, that was part of that game that was picking up the paper the next day. Absolutely. It's a very good perspective to have. One of the other things that I thought was interesting about your journey was that at your time at UMass Amherst, instead of doing sports journalism or just regular journalism, like a lot of the people that I've talked to, you ended up in sports management, you worked in their PR department, that kind of thing. Um, did that give you like a, uh, I don't know, a more broad understanding of how the system as a whole works instead of just the reporter's perspective? It, it did. And, and I'm really happy that that was the decision I made. I mean, the sport management program up at UMass is nationally recognized as one of the best in the country. Um, and I, I can't say that when I was there that I necessarily contributed to that <laughs> with, uh, with, um, but you know, now I love to talk about it because yeah. I think, especially in the master's program, it's people from all over the country are trying to get in there because there's an amazing network. And my thought, Liam, at the time was like, I have a lot of this practical experience already, you know, in terms of what it means to go out to an event and write it on deadline, you know, um, uh, being at a newspaper, putting out a Sunday section. Like I had had an unbelievable training at this local newspaper from some unbelievable role models that, I'm forever grateful for. So I thought to myself, like, if I go to UMass and study journalism, am I going to be learning sort of like what I've already been doing? Yeah. I'm not sure my, my, my reasoning for that was, was great in <laughs> retrospect. Like, I probably could have still majored in journalism and, and probably could have, could have benefited from that. Um, but that was sort of the thought process at the time in, in going that route. Well, it certainly worked out, I'd say. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, there's a saying I love. It's that we can only live life going forward, but we really probably only understand it the best when we look back, right? Mm -hmm. And of, of the many things that I wish I could do differently is, you know, probably – and I got so much out of my experience at UMass. I would go to these games. I, I had going with my colleagues at the student radio station to, like, I remember just picking them up in a, you know – rental car saying we're going to temple university for this for this uh tonight's umass temple basketball game calipari versus cheney and we would just go and so that part of it was the greatest experience i think i i, I feel like if i even if i could have applied myself it was what i'm trying to say a little more academically i think i could have got even yeah. more out of the experience yeah lots of people look back with the same thought process i'm sure um so you came out of college and your first job is for a team website. And then, so then after that, you made the jump to a regular newspaper and were covering the team without their employment. What were some of the benefits that you enjoyed working for a team website that you didn't get to have when you started working for a independent uh, newspaper? Yeah. So working for the team newspaper and website, I would go to every Patriots 
home game and road game, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the road games, had to be on the team plane. So one nice. of my favorite stories is from 1997. And to sort of give you the context is this is the first year without Bill Parcells. Pete Carroll's in his first year as coach. Parcells is with the Jets. And Patriots are going to play the Jets. And we used to have to pick the games, you know, in the team newspaper. Like, mm-hmm. who's going to win this week? Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, Parcells probably going to have the upper hand because he knows the Patriots players. You know, he was just here. And, I mean, this was hot at the time, like, this whole situation. And so I remember picking the Jets to beat the Patriots. And, you know, like, you're on the team plane, right? And it's like some of the players see that. And I always joke that I was in an aisle seat and the players would get off first. And I felt more elbows to the back of my head and more more <laughs> luggage dropping out of the top, you know, compartments uh, and hitting me in the head. And so, you know, I, and I say it sort of at the time, I will tell you, I was I'm, I'm young and I'm not feeling great about it. Right. I can look back and laugh at it now. Yeah. But I think that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, when you're working for the team, you know, I'm flying with them. You know, I remember having you know, lunches or dinners, wherever it was, like just waiting for you on the seat. Mm-hmm. And now, thankfully, you know, ESPN, it, we travel to all the games, but you're doing it commercially, obviously. Yes. So you're, you're much more detached. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's probably good, Liam. I mean, I would say it is good because it allows you to really report objectively, completely detached. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I imagine the only kind of uh, harassment you're getting on the planes is perhaps a dirty look or two from a rogue enemy fan. <laughs> Usually what they say is, oh, man, I didn't realize Reese was that short. He can hardly reach, he can hardly reach the overhead bin. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, commercial has its <laughs> downsides, I guess. <laughs> um, so then you ended up at the Globe, and that was your dream job, as you said. But then you made the jump to ESPN. Exactly what inspired you to make that decision? So, so we're in, this is now 2008 into 2009. And as I think back to it, Liam, like we had, so the globe had just been put up for sale and there was a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. as to who was going to buy it and what that was going to mean. And so there was that aspect to it. And then there was my personal life at the time where I had married my wife in 2006 and she was pregnant with our first child in 2008, sort of the summer of 2008 into the fall. And then our daughter was born in March of 2009. And so I think the combination of those two things, you're, I'm weighing it and I'm saying, okay, like we have the place I always wanted to work with a future that we we can't quite nail down and say this is what it's going to look like because we don't know who's going to buy it and is it going to be someone that comes in and wants to cut staff and and how's that going to look and then if it was just me you know maybe you ride that out but I have my wife we have a daughter on the way and we're looking at ESPN and saying like this is a dynamic company right and and the opportunities to do different things other than just writing for the newspaper. You can go on TV now. You can be on the radio, um, you know, podcasts, all this stuff. So it was sort of opening up a a little bit of a different career trajectory in a way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so that combination and the strength of the company um, led me in that direction. Were you at all nervous about kind of branching out into areas other than writing? Oh, for sure. I mean, I was nervous to make the move. I mean, I think part of it, I would say, is I had done some, uh, you know, some of the on-camera stuff, like even going back to, you know, college and right out of college with the Patriots. Like, we were doing one of my, I love this story. So Peter King is, you know, the dean of football writers, right? And and I remember him visiting the Patriots in like 1997, 98, and my our office at Patriots Football Weekly and Patriots.com was actually in a coat closet in the old club <laughs> of Foxborough Stadium. So, like, we would work there during the week, and then on Friday they'd be like, all right, clear everything out. You know, we're going to need this for the coats, you know, for everyone coming in, right? So that was our office. And I'll never forget, Peter King is visiting the team, and we had just put something up on the web, you know, with me in front of the camera. Hi, this is Mike Reese of Patriot Cyber Sideline. And it was like, you know, you, you try to play it and it would not always play, you know, like sometimes yep. it would like need to recalibrate. Mm. And, but it was like new and fresh. And we're like, oh, we want to show Peter, you know, what's going on here. So Peter comes up to the coat closet and, <laughs> and we're, you know, I say, check this out. We hit play and he goes, this is great. Look at this. this. So you're telling me like, we can have video on our computers. Like, and that was sort of where we were at yeah. that time. So I had had the experience of doing some of it on camera, um, but not, you know, this was going to be shifting into a much higher level of doing Yeah, that. for sure. Well, I'm sure King enjoyed that video immensely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of course, of course. And now you've been at ESPN for just over 10 years now. As you look back on your first decade as uh, as an employee there, what has been your favorite part about working for ESPN? Well, so this this is amazing company now, Liam. Like the Disney is sort of the pet, you know the parent company, and just amazing company to work for. I think about the opportunity to work with some of the most talented people in our field, mm-hmm. and incredibly appreciative of that and you know they when you're working with people like that it doesn't just make you want to strive to be better at what you do professionally but personally Mm -hmm. so i'll give you an example like doing more tv work which you know i I don't want to say doesn't like probably doesn't come as natural to me as let's say writing because that was that was how i got started to to be with like Sal Palantonio and to be able to watch him and how he, you know, says this is what's important to relay and this is how to relay it and this is how to get your message across. Like, that's that's unbelievable. It's like an education, right, um, every day. And then beyond that, you know, like I'll, I'll share with you, one, one of the greatest pieces of advice that he's passed along is that this is all great. Like, yeah, do, do your best work. But one of his sayings that I love is, if you don't have shalom in the home, like, none of it matters. Oh, that's good. And what, right, Liam? Like, so what does that mean? Like, we're all striving in our careers to do great work, and we should. Mm-hmm. But shalom in the home. Like, you got to have your business handled at home, too. Your wife, your kids, whatever it is, you know. And so stuff like that, 
stands out to me when I think about the last 10 years at ESPN because that, that's been my, whole, my kids' whole existence of yeah. you know, my work career. So my daughter just turned 11, and our son just turned 8. So this career has allowed me to better myself professionally, better myself personally, and I'm just, I'm just extremely grateful for it. And I think, honestly, I think you see this now, like the times we're in, like think about how ESPN is going forward to try, like in these times, to try to carefully put together like the draft, for example, right? Like this is not easy, but we're, they're doing it safely. Like they're not putting any, you know, anyone at risk responsibly and the idea is to bring it to the fans, right? And I just, I love being aligned with that. I love that direction, and I love what, what they stand for, what the company stands for in that regard. Yeah, it's outstanding. I've uh, I asked a similar question, question to Jenna Lane, and she spoke of uh, as highly of her coworkers, and it really seems like the, the whole reporting side of ESPN is a pretty close-knit group. I think so. You know, and like, I'll, I'll, I mean, I could go like literally down the line, but like, I'll give you another example. Like, ha- have you read by any chance Adam Schefter's book, The Man I Never Met? I have not gotten to it yet. Okay. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. Because like, to me, like, I have amazing teammates. Field Yates is one of like my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could pick a name and I, pr- you know, like there's a connection there. But like Adam, for me, is, is our leader. Right. Like he's the he's the when you want information on football at ESPN or really, I would say anywhere. Like to me, that's like my number one on the list. Right. And like I read that book that he wrote and it was human. You now it's so human and real. And it's like so it's not just that he's good at his job, but like the quality of the person. Yeah, we, got, we have we have a lot of that. And that means a lot. You know, as you get older, you realize that. It's one, you know, like doing your job is great, but you want to do it around great people. Absolutely. That's, those are words to live by right there. And I look forward to reading the book, especially because not a whole lot else to do right now. That's for sure. (laughs) That's right. So you, this is, so shifting a little bit to more of a Patriots focused perspective, you have had a truly unique experience of covering the Patriots from 1997 until now. And that is covering the rise of this dynasty, covering all of the small, the valleys and the pitfalls and all that. And it's, I'm sure it's impossible to, but if you were to try, how would you encapsulate that experience for any reporters who dream of doing something similar? So, so in, in terms of like, what has it been like? Yeah. I mean, like a dream, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how lucky could it, how lucky could you get to go, you know, nine Super Bowls, they win six of them, 13 conference, conference. Um, I mean, I'd have to look at like the numbers. It's almost like dizzying, right? Um, the chance to be in these big game environments. Um, I mean, look, and, and not, not just those moments, but some of the more challenging ones, right? Like they're not all the stories have been, have been happy ones. Yeah. Right. And navigating those has been challenging as well. But to me, like, 
you know, similar to you, like growing up in this region, like the sports matter and to, to be in a position to, I would say like what, one of my questions, like, what are we doing here? Like, what's our role? And as a reporter covering the team, like I've always, like my philosophy is just like, I want to be the eyes and ears for someone who cares about the Patriots and what's going on and try to relay what's happening in as um, accurate and fair and objective manner as I can, you know? And so I think, you know, having the chance to do that with the success they've had over the last two decades probably is the best way to to sum it up is that it's just been like a dream. Yeah, absolutely. But now for the, well, you had a couple of years earlier in your career, but for the most part, for the first time in your, largely in your professional career, Tom Brady is no longer a central figure in what you're covering. Um, how do you, what kind of challenges do you anticipate as you go into next year without somebody with the monumental everything of Brady being there to, I don't know, to cover? Yeah. Hey, well, I look at it, I look at it this way. Like it's going to be intriguing to see how it unfolds. Like he's not here, which is heartbreaking in one respect for those who believe that he should have been a one uniform player, but it's also intriguing because like, what's going to happen now? Like, don't you want to know the answer? Like, I feel like as many eyeballs, if not more will be locked in to see how this thing unfolds. So when I think about like compelling storylines, which is often what we discuss on a daily basis at ESPN, like what, what can we do, you know, like that's a compelling storyline. Like what's more compelling than this? Mm. Who's going to be the quarterback? Yep. Like what, is it, what does it mean? Like are they going to go down? Is this a, a one-year blip? Is it, are they not going to go down? Like imagine if they don't. What if this is like, like so we're looking now and like the over-under from Caesars Palace just came out and I guess it's eight and a half wins, the lowest – for the Patriots since 2003 when they were coming off a nine and seven season that they didn't make the playoffs in 2002. We know what happened that year. They won the Super Bowl. So to me, that's the intriguing part of this. And of course that, and that's before we even get into, you know, Belichick and, you know, the pride of the players that are here, you know, that you already hear them talking a little bit of, everyone thought, you know, that we were just led by Tom, you know, but there's a lot of us here. Like, how does that manifest itself? So I think, I think it's intriguing. And I, I, ha- I can't remember a season with as low external expectations as this one. And I would say that sometimes those can be the most rewarding to cover because you truly don't know how it's going to unfold. Yeah, exactly. The unknown is the most exciting part about all this. You know, like like you said, I grew up south of Boston, so I was indeed one of those people who agreed that Brady should be a uh, one-jersey player. But it is going to be, I mean, for basically my entire life, it has been Brady-Belichick, and now it is just Belichick. And so there are just so many different factors that are going to go into this. Like you said, I mean, how is everybody going to react if the Patriots go 12 and four and win the division again, you know, or how, what if they can for, I don't know. I mean, I can't really envision this happening, but what if everything goes wrong at the same time and they somehow end up like four and 12 with a fifth pick in the next year's draft, you just have no idea what's going to happen. That's exactly right. And, and think about the scenario that you mentioned 12 and four win the division, like, 
like, and think about legacies. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- what does that mean for Bill Belichick? Like, we, we all have an impression of him now, whatever that is. Like, so think of it from that perspective. Like, how, like isn't that just compelling? Oh, yeah. Or, or from the other one, right? What if it's the other scenario and it's 4-12, and 12, like you said, and then it opens up the whole other discussion of, wow, you know, like the Brady factor was bigger than maybe you anticipated, mm-hmm. right? So I, I look at it this way, like 2020 for the New England Patriots, like they, maybe they don't have as many primetime games because you don't have the top star, Mm-hmm. But let's not forget how this whole dynasty, if you will, started back in 2001 when the Patriots were introduced in the Super Bowl against the Rams, the greatest show on turf, mm-hmm. as a team. Right? We're going back to that. This is throwback to 2001. And if you're a football fan and you love competition and you love what it, you know, everything that goes into building a team – like, I, I just don't know how you can't look at this situation and think to yourself, this is fascinating. i oh, got to yeah. find out what, what's going to happen. No, this is the year. I mean, we will probably, I would consider it even quite likely, in 15, 20 years, look back on 2020 and see it as, like, a, defi- uh, if not the defining season of this Patriots dynasty. It, it's going to shed some light. I don't know if it'll completely answer, but shed some light into all the questions that everybody's had about value of Brady versus the value of Belichick and just what you were talking about, the team aspect. And I mean, it could even affect like kind of how everybody views the value of the position of the quarterback on a football team. Even, I mean, it's going to be is, as you said, fascinating is the only way to put it. Yeah. And, and then who's the quarterback? Like, like, so looking at this year's draft, like I, I, I say, okay, for the Patriots, they're picking at 23. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, what's the storyline that would make you go, wow? But I, it would probably be a quarterback, right, early. But would they do that? Like, they have Jarrett Stidham, their fourth-round pick last year, who, by all accounts, what I hear behind the scenes is like, they like him, you know, and. He did everything that he could have done last year to make a positive impression. But do they know for sure that he's the answer internally? Liam, I I don't think they can say that decisively. They don't know. Just like they didn't necessarily know in 2008 when Matt Castle took over 15 snaps into the season when Brady got injured, they didn't know how Matt Castle was going to respond. They, They had an idea. They I think it could work out, but until the the quarterback actually goes out and does it, there's always going to be a little bit of a blind spot. So how does Stidham respond? you got Brian Hoyer, the veteran behind him, just to protect you. And then what do you do in the draft? Like, is there a player like Aaron Rodgers back in 05 that slides? Mm-hmm. Like Justin Herbert, let's just say it. He slides. There's only so many teams that would take a quarterback in round one. So these are some of the compelling questions to me as I look at the Patriots and that quarterback spot in this draft for sure and that kind of brings us to a natural segue to my next question here which is actually uh, Ian Rappaport went on the Rich Eisen show today and said uh, he thinks the Patriots are going to take a quarterback and probably with a premium pick but he would imagine it's just not a pick they currently have so what's your kind of read on that statement as far as it certainly seems like he's suggesting that the Patriots are going to trade up for a quarterback 
look, nothing would surprise me. Bill Belichick has made 77 draft day trades in his 20 years with the team. So he's always looking to move. They currently have the 23rd pick. They have a big gap in their draft board because they, they traded their second rounder for Mohamed Sanu last year. So their next pick is 87, you know, third round. So they'd have to give up something to move up, and they'd really have to fall in love with a quarterback to do that. And that's something they've never done before because they haven't really had to, yep. right? And so I always look at it from listening. And this is more listening to people with more expertise in personnel that have been there. Like, mm. until you know you have the quarterback position accounted for, like, there's no price that's too big to pay if you think that the player you're about to draft can be that guy. Like, look around, Liam, like the, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Like, when they made that trade up, a lot of people said that's, that's a lot to give up at yeah. the time they made the trade, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. And, but looking back, like, wouldn't you give that up and then some, knowing what we know now? Substantially more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the way I look at it with the Patriots. It would just be, you know, have they fallen in love with a quarterback that they would move up to, to pick? And, and, and I guess the, it's specific to this one would be, like, what is a premium pick? Yeah. You know, I think there's probably different definitions to that. Um, to me, a premium pick is a first-round pick yeah. you know, with a quarterback. So uh, I, I don't know if they'll definitely do that. I, I would actually think the odds are lower, but as we've learned, like, we don't know how the draft's going to unfold. No one thought Aaron Rodgers was going to end up with the Packers in the 20s, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's why we'll all be tuned in Thursday night for the start of the draft because, oh, yeah. you know, no one knows. No one knows, and it'll be a wonderful distraction. But let's play a game of hypotheticals, and let's say the Patriots don't go with a quarterback with their first pick, and they decide to stand pat in number 23. Who do you see as potential targets for them? So when I break down their needs, so I say quarterback will put off into like the separate category, right? Because we've already defined, like if you don't know you got your next guy, like you're always going to look in that direction. So we're putting that to the side, like you said. And I say tight end is a top need. And I defer to the tremendous like draft analysts that are out there. Armel Kuyper, Todd McShay, um, DJ uh, Jeremiah of NFL Network, people like that who tell you that this tight end class is not the strongest, yeah. right? So I would say that might be a reach in the first round for someone like Cole Komet of Notre Dame based on what these draft analysts and you know the scouts that you talk to say. Like I have to defer to their opinion. They know more than me. Mm. So then I look at like an off-the-line linebacker would be a second need. So this is a position that in what I've learned from the Patriots and their scouting is if you're going to take a linebacker in the first round, that linebacker should have four down value, meaning that he can play on early downs, strong enough against the run. He can play in sub packages on third down, or as we know, sub packages are basically every down now, but he can run, turn, cover, all that stuff. And even on fourth down, if you need to put him out there on special teams. And to me, you know, an off-the-ball linebacker might actually be the best fit there based on the way some of these projections go. So, like, Kenneth Murray Mm -hmm. of Oklahoma is someone that comes to mind as 
that the projections say could be there in that range. And I look at the Patriots and say they got Dante Hightower, who's a big, physical, rugged, you know, guy at that position. They have Juwan Bentley, a fifth-round pick from 2018 out of Purdue, similar style of player. So a guy like Murray might be a nice complement to those two linebackers at a position that I rate as their second need. And then I would say you can never go wrong with offensive linemen. Uh, and then I have receiver and defensive end edge outside linebacker as sort of the fifth need. Mm. That seems to be about right. Uh, Kenneth Murray is the name I'm seeing most often, and he has all the, uh, what are the what's the term they use? The off-the-field characteristics for him apparently measure off the charts as well, so that definitely will help him in that regard. But it'll be fascinating, like you said. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? This is the first draft they've gone into in 20 years where they have a completely different set of priorities when it comes to who's under center, so it'll be very interesting. Definitely, and then you put in the whole technological aspect of it. Yeah. Like I think back to the way Bill Belichick has operated his draft. It's a small draft room, one of the smallest in the league, and he loves to wheel and deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, I think last year they made like 10 to 12 trades during the draft. Well, how does that change this year when you're not all together and the communication is happening differently? Like, mm-hmm. does this become a draft where he just sits in his spots and picks because the communication is so strained? Or is it overblown? You know, we'll see how that unfolds. But one of the great stats that I love to bring up is that in his 20 drafts um, as, you know, leading the Patriots, there was just one year where he never made a single trade during the draft, and that was back in 2004. Wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah. Quite something. All right, let's shift on to the last part of the interview here where I'll ask you some more fun, open-ended, lighthearted, some memory questions. How's that sound? Love it. All right. So the first one, and this can be in your job or it could just be in general. It could be quite quite literally anything. What is your favorite football memory? My favorite football memory, so I will tell you that I'm going to give you two. Okay. And I'm going to give you the first thing that, that came to my mind. So the first would be that every year since 2005, 2006, I've taken my dad with me to a game as I traveled for work. So we have memories together around football that we'll never forget. So we've been to Green Bay and Lambeau Field. We've been to Seattle. Uh, And in 2014, he came with me to Kansas City which was the Monday night game, if you remember. And the Patriots got absolutely blown out. And that was the time that everyone was questioning, like, is that it for Tom Mm -hmm. Brady? And so one of the the worst memories for Patriots fans was actually one of my dad's favorites because he said the people in Kansas City were so nice to him in the tailgate lots, you know, before the game. And then after the game, the Chiefs, head of media relations, Ted Cruz, like he knew my dad was there. He invited him into the press box while I finished my work. And since that day, Liam, Ted Cruz, he always asked me about my dad. And I love to tell the story because there's so many good people that work in the NFL, whether it's for teams like Ted or the league, that like, that's what I love about the sport. 
like it connects people, it creates memories together, and so that's really the first thing that came to my mind, but it's sort of like a personal answer, so mm. I would just tell you the, the, the football-specific answer, like all the Super Bowls are great and all that stuff, but like that 2007 regular season finale when the Patriots were going for 16-0, and and we were at the Meadowlands, and they were playing the Giants, and Tom Coughlin, the Giants coach, his team was locked in at the number five seed. He didn't have to play for anything, but he said, we're playing. And that environment and that night, that was just, that to me, like even thinking about it, like the hair on the back of my neck still stands up. Hair on the back of my arm still stands up whenever I think about Brady tossing number fifty to Randy Moss for number twenty-three. I mean, that's just that's too storybooked. It's ridiculous, right? And do you remember though? Do you remember the play before that? Yeah, he just missed him. Just missed him, like by like, an inch or two. And to me, like you can't talk about that fifty and twenty-three without mentioning the play before because <laughs> that's part of what made it so amazing, right? Uh, they just went right back to it and got it that time. One of my favorite football memories as well, although it's a little, you know, a little soured, but that's okay. What, um, what is yours? What is yours? Just out of curiosity. Well, that is an easy answer for uh, for you, Mike. Uh, I was lucky enough to be at the Falcons Super Bowl in 2016. Amazing. And that Amazing. is far and away my favorite one. And the close second is the 2014 Ravens divisional playoff game where we went down by 14 twice and came yeah. back. And I still, I was on the side of the end zone where he threw that fade to LaFell to go ahead for the final time. And that's like, in my mind, the best throw of Tom Brady's career. I'm sure there are plenty of others that are more pinpoint accurate or more clutch or all that stuff. But when I think of Tom Brady throwing a touchdown pass when we needed it most, that is exactly what I think. So, so Liam, we got Super Bowl uh, against the Falcons, 21-3 down at the half. One of my, my proudest moments was texting my wife at halftime saying, uh, you know, 21-3, I put a little frown face, and I said, I hope the kids are okay, right? Because, yeah. like, you know, they're, they're like, you know, you, don't, you knew they'd be disappointed. Yeah. And I said, but don't count out Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And I saved that screenshot of my text <laughs> because, now, what I always tell people, though, is say, don't ask me what I was saying at 28-3 down, <laughs> but, but let's just focus on that communication at halftime right there. The best part about my experience at that Super Bowl is I was interning for a, another sports writing website at the time because I was in college. And I they asked me to make a fan reaction video where I recorded my reaction to everything that happened for the entire game. So I have this oh, like 20-minute wow. video of me reacting to this entire Super Bowl for the rest of my life, which is amazing. Obviously love that. But at halftime, 21-3... I was doing a little update as I was walking to the bathroom. I was talking to my phone, which I'm sure irritated the hell out of my neighbors, but they didn't. They were pretty cool about it. And I was like, oh, yep, so 21-3, things aren't, uh, things aren't going good. But if, uh, if anybody can do it, Tom Brady can. And this random guy it. turns around and he goes, good luck, man. I just laughed. I was like, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I just sort of mumbled. And then obviously it ended up turning around. So that was just, yeah. I still watch that video whenever I'm feeling down, although I skip the first half, naturally. I love it. And I, I would just I hope you have the video of yourself because you need to save that and, and oh, yeah. keep that forever. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's in the files. It'll never go away. Uh, but kind of on this similar vein, you know, when you were an old, old man, I'm sure your grandkids or your great grandkids will ask you what it was like to cover Tom Brady while he was on the Patriots. So if there was one story that you had to dig into the memory bags to bring up that sort of is your favorite Tom Brady story as a reporter, what would it be? Yeah. 
Well, so I, I think part of what has made this um, transition for him going to Tampa, I don't want to say emotional, but just like, you know, there is a process to go through to to move forward for everyone, for fans, and even for those that have reported on him for 20 years. And I like to tell the story about 2018. Um, it's Christmas Eve, and the Patriots had just beaten the Bills the day before. And... Um, I have to go to the stadium to record something for TV, and my wife's working a half day, and so I had the kids who are on school vacation with me going to the stadium to record something for TV. So we park our Honda Odyssey minivan over on the side and, you know, getting the kids out of the van, and we're walking towards the area where we need to go, and all of a sudden this, like, sports car that was real shiny had like starts to like come down the lane and I say to my kids I say let's just move over to the side I don't want you guys to get hurt and like the car comes to a stop and the the tinted window pulls you know rolls down and all of a sudden um you know you, they the, the kids hear this voice hey kids you you guys looking forward to christmas and my daughter and my son look over and they say is that tom brady man and and it was great, Liam, because honestly, like for the next, I'll just say maybe it felt like five minutes. Tom Brady's asking my daughter and son questions about, you know, what gifts they're, you know, they're looking forward to getting, what activities, you know, do they like? Um, and I'll never forget my son is leaning up against his passenger side door handle that looked like it was shined up, you know, so much. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, oh my God, you know, like he's got his <laughs> fingerprints all over it. And I tell you the story because I feel like for all the great moments that Brady produced on the field, I, I tell people that the, the and that's that's what it's about, right? You got to produce and it's the championships and all that stuff. Like he was, from my perception, the the human under the the helmet, you know, seemed like a most decent man. Yeah. And when I say seem like it, it's that we, we don't really know these athletes as well, you know, as we know our, our closest friends, our families, because there's going to be a, ta- a deta- you know, there's a, that, that detachment between reporter and athlete, right? But over 20 years, you, you sort of develop a picture of who you're covering and just seem like the most decent person to go along with, you know, the great player. So it's just like that rare combination, and that's that's what I would tell them, like, Never be another one like that because it wasn't just the player, but it was also the person that accompanied it. Yeah, and that's the great thing about being a journalist in my uh, limited experience so far in comparison to you is that there's, you know, it's awesome writing about sports and it's great covering all this stuff, but there's a real human element that I think that, I don't know, you can talk you can talk about that in class all the time and you can read all about it, but the human element is what really makes this job amazing. And to be able to connect with somebody like Brady and have him be that kind of person is a remarkable experience. And you know what I would just add, Liam, just one other thing, like, I, you know, not to, and that's not to, to shortchange like the other players, like that is one thing that like the Patriots, like in general, I would say the quality of the individual that Bill Belichick brings into that locker room, pretty, pretty impressive. And I know, you know, the detractors will say, well, you gotta, you gotta talk about some of the ones that, you know, went the other way, and certainly, you know, we know who I'm referencing, right? I mean, uh, like a situation like Aaron Hernandez, like you can't say that without 
mentioning it, right? Like, there's, it's not perfect. No one's perfect. But I would say the majority of players that have come through there are, you know, have a certain quality to them that make it a pleasure to be in that locker room on a regular basis. Absolutely. And then speaking of Belichick, uh, you are a battle-worn veteran of the dreaded Belichick press conferences. And from the outside, from outside the room, it seems like it's definitely a minefield. So let's say I'm a young reporter who's coming onto the Patriots beat, and I'm asking you for advice on how to survive my first Belichick press conference. What would you say? Well, be prepared, right? Mm. Like, be prepared. And, um, you know, I think what I've learned just from being in those settings and sometimes being on the wrong end of, you know, a look, a comment. Um, Look, none of us are perfect, right? We're just trying our hardest. I think be prepared, show that you've done your homework, and it never hurts, actually, to to maybe even write down as a young reporter, like if you're going in there, write down the question you want to ask, you know, and you can literally just refer to your notes. Sometimes I, I still do that sometimes now because I think how you word a question Sometimes one, you know, misplaced word can lead you in a direction you don't want to go. So think about your question, be prepared, and even have it right in front of you. And, um, and I think, you know, sometimes that can sort of help you through. But I will tell you, I mean, literally, I remember the first question I asked him, Liam, and my heart was pounding. <laughs> 2001, and I asked him, it was, I asked him about uh, a young cornerback named Leonard Myers. He's from University of Miami. I'm thinking, oh, I'll try to do a different story. I was working at the local paper at the time. And to get the courage to ask him my first question, I mean, I remember my heart pounding. And <laughs> thankfully, I think he let me down lightly because I probably hardly got the question out of my mouth. <laughs> well, that's a memory that you'll hang on to forever, I'm sure. Just going to finish it off with the question I asked all my guests. Um what is one thing that about this job that you feel like other people don't really know or understand? So I, I think the, the thing that keeps coming back to my head is that maybe that it knows no sort of time boundaries. Like there's, you're always on, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you could be sitting down for dinner and there's a transaction that happens or breaking news and like that nice dinner you had planned, you know, is, is out the wayside. Right. And I think because of that, it can create some additional challenges just in terms of some of the, like the family situation. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is that when you know, you do have the time when that's not happening. So when the NFL sort of, quiets down, which might be from like mid-June to mid-July, right? There's less of an expectation that they'll be, like, you got to maximize that time. And when I say maximize the time, meaning with your family, right? So I think sometimes with the social media and the 24-hour news cycle, that can be a challenge um, Mm. when you're balancing some of the other things. And I'm not, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's sort of known from people, but that would be the, the thought that I keep coming back to. Um, what would have others said on that, Liam? Like, what have been others' responses on that? Pretty similar, uh, the, that you're kind of always on the clock. There isn't really, you don't really have a rest. And also just, I think a lot of reporters feel like uh, 
the audience members don't necessarily appreciate how much work goes in behind the scenes, which ties right into that. You know, you guys are busting your butts pretty much all day, every day to get out this content and people read a headline and get mad about it sort of thing. But I do think that passion is, is part of what's great about sports, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they, with that caveat, naturally, they most, they agreed it's kind of the, the fan base is what makes the world go round for us sports media members, but it can be, yeah, can be grating sometimes. But, and then finally, finish it all off. What's something that you wish you knew back when you were starting out for Patriots Weekly in 1997 about this job, about the industry, about anything? Something I wish I knew when I was starting out. Let's see. Well, I would say embracing, like embracing technology would be part of it. I mean, I think I, I tried to do that, but like I'm whole, like I, when I think about what I was starting with, I, you know, you're, you're thinking about being a newspaper reporter and like maybe if I had just said, look, I'm going to start here, but you know, keep the mind open. Right. Because who knows what it's going to look like in a decade or two yeah. decades. So maybe, and not that, I don't think that that, you know, like limited me in any way. I think you adjust as you go, but I think maybe just keeping an open mind on stuff like that um, is something, you know, when I was starting, but I mean, nothing, I'm trying to think back, you know, when I was getting started, to be honest, Liam, like probably the, the biggest answer would be, you know, learning about like, like that balance that we talked about, you know, like yeah. the family, work-life balance, the family, because I go back to what Sal Palantonio, what we talked about, the shalom in the home, right? Like yeah. there was a time when it was all career, you know, like you're just all about the work and like that's, that can be great, but like you all, you want to be well-rounded, well-read and balanced, you know, professionally and personally. Absolutely. I think that's advice that anybody could definitely take to heart, not just sports journalists, but to any aspiring sports journalists out there, definitely take some notes. All right, Mike, that'll conclude the interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being honest and insightful with all of your answers. It was a really, really amazing conversation. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm really flattered that you took an interest in it. And for everyone listening and for you, I just hope everyone is healthy and safe and we come out of this situation on the other side, um, hopefully soon. And uh, just wish everyone the best. Absolutely. Doubled here. And thank you, as always, listener, for tuning in. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off. <laughs>